no, my people, some of us, we know how we're going to die. It comes to us in a dream. And in my dream, I'm an old man. And I'm sitting. And there's another person. And we are strangling the life out of each other. Hands wrapped around our throat. The moment I saw Jakar, I knew it was him from the dream. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionwall, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about Babylon 5, a sort of a counterpoint to last week's Battlestar Galactica episode. We're going to talk about great long-form planning. Yeah, and as always, if you have any questions about this episode or any others, get in touch uh, through Twitter at The Story Toolkit or through the website, uh, which has all the episodes on it as well, uh, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. Back yeah. to you. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, so Babylon 5, for those of you who don't know Babylon 5, for shame, Babylon 5 <laughs> is, uh, for, for my money, it's, it's one of the best TV shows. Um, it's getting a little dated uh, in terms of special effects and sort of yeah. the way it looks and some of the way that it's done. But what isn't dating at all is the, the long-form plotting. The, the this, basic structure of the show. I'm sh- I know we've ref- I'm sure we've referenced this in another show. Is mm. this the, the the first example yeah. of long form? This is the first television. time some as, as J. Michael Straczynski, the creator and writer and producer of the show. Uh, and by the way, he wrote almost every episode of the show from season three onwards. He wrote every episode. With really? the exception of one, which was written by Neil Gaiman in season five. That's it. Um, if you're going to hand the reins to somebody, yeah, and it's a good episode that Neil Gaiman episode. But um, he uh, he so he he wrote pretty much the entire show. He meticulously planned it out, and he always said he was trying to make a novel on television. Right, and he was the first person to really do this uh, with a long form drama. I've not over had... five years. No one, no one thought it could be possible. I've not heard that um, explanation of why before, and it makes so much sense. What a novel! Yeah, it feels like yeah. a novel. It's because that's what he molded it on. He yeah, said yeah, it yeah. was a big. Like, he, I mean, the Babylon Five is 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 the precursor to things like Game of Thrones and everything else, pretty much. Yeah. Um, because it was a show that had no star power. It had no. Um, it had nothing for it. In fact, and this was at a time where people thought the only sci-fi on television had to be Star Trek. People didn't right. think you could have sci-fi than Star Trek. And yet, it managed to get all the way, all five of its seasons. It, it, it planned out to be five seasons long. It got its five seasons. And it's it's a masterful undertaking. And, one, and people don't appreciate it because, you know... It it came out in ninety three or something. Yeah, I mean, it finished is, in ninety seven. This is this is also five seasons of of old money television, which was twenty four episodes. Twenty four episodes a season. Yeah. Um. And, and yeah. And yet, um. It's just brilliant. And the thing about Babylon Five, and this was something that Straczynski said at the time he was writing it, because uh, he was very active on Usenet forums to try and explain what was going on and things like Usenet back in the day, right? It was Usenet forums. <laughs> um. And I, I'm a huge Babylon 5 fan. I have all the script books. I have devoured as much information about Babylon 5 as, 
as a fan can. Um, you even watched Crusade, is that right? I liked Crusade. <laughs> I really liked One Crusade. Uh, Crusade is uh, is the spin-off, and um, it got shanked, unfortunately. And it's one of those shows... And Actually, I'm glad you brought up Crusade, because this is actually a really good point, because I was going to make this point about Babylon 5, because Straczynski said the same thing. Which is, if you watch this on an episode-by-episode basis, it's nothing special, really. It's when you start watching them all together... It starts to make sense. Now, in today's world where you binge watch things and you watch things in box sets and people watch multiple episodes back to back, this isn't a task. But back in 1992, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, when you watch this one episode this week, it won't make much sense. But trust me, four years later, it'll make more sense. <laughs> like, no one buys, no one could comprehend that, right? And Crusade, it got cancelled before it got its payoffs. Right. So it, you have like 10 episodes of setups and you're going, where was the show going? When I worked out where the show was going and then I, Straczynski finally revealed some of the things where it was going like, oh, it's even better than I thought. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's so, uh, you know, David Simon said the same thing about The Wire. When they uh, did The Wire, um, they didn't give out one episode for critics to watch. They gave out four. Really? And said you need to watch four episodes before you get what this show is about because the inciting incident of the wire I don't think happens till episode four. Yeah. Right. So and they told HBO this. They told all the critics this. It's like, look, if you just judge us on one episode, you're going to hate it. Trust us. Watch these four episodes. I, I, I always felt for the people that that quit out on the wire after uh, you know a few episodes because I felt every season. Yes. Episode seven. That's yes. when you knew the the wheels were going to come off. Right. Everything before that was just kind of right. In the exactly. It's the same way even with something like Dexter, right? Where you you kind of sat through a lot of Dexter for the thrill ride at the end of the seasons. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, Babylon Five. Um, J. Marshall Zinsky said the only. I mean, this was at the time when when obviously Dexter was on the air for its first two seasons. He said the only show that he said captured the sense of dread that he generated at the end of every season where it feels like the show's off the rails is Dexter. <laughs> uh, and Babylon 5 did that. At the end of every season, it was kind of like building, building, building. And then suddenly all these episodes were being paid off. So Babylon 5 is kind of the precursor. Um, and uh, I, while, um, you know, it's, you know, people like the, uh, look, it, it looks a little dated, okay? It's, and the style is a little dated, but it's still really great. And um, I think if you get past some of the superficial elements like that, Babylon 5 is going to be very, very rewarding. I think, yeah. Uh, it's, that's the thing, it's, it's so rewarding. You will not feel like you wasted the five no, seasons. The, the, when the story's good enough, you don't necessarily... You won't mind for the, the yeah. aesthetics. Exactly. Um, let's get it. I was going to say, let's just get into it because I know we've got a I lot to cover. To, before we get into it, I just want to say one last thing. One last thing, which is if you haven't watched Babylon 5 at all, we are going to spoil the whole thing. Okay? We're going to go through all kinds of huge turning points. Okay? And what I would uh, like to suggest is watch it. <laughs> just seriously watch it. The pilot episode, The Gathering is really, by the way, not indicative of the rest of the show. Half the characters look completely different. The music is off. It, The Gathering, the pilot episode, is not good, okay? But you should watch it anyway, okay? But bear in mind, it doesn't... It, that's The first episode of the first season is good, okay? But the the pilot episode, the two-hour pilot, it's, 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 it's not at great. The, at the very least, you've got to give it the Firefly test. You give it... Yes. Give it, the, give it 14 episodes. Yeah. Okay, because episode nine's great. 
Uh, so give it 14 episodes. But uh, seriously, I honestly recommend you should watch Babylon 5. If you don't mind everything being spoiled for you, then fine, go for it. Uh, listen to the rest of this podcast. But if And if you've seen Babylon 5, obviously listen to this podcast. But if you haven't, and Babylon 5 sounds like something you'd like to be into, we're going to spoil it. So I would really suggest watching Babylon 5 because it's great. Okay, let's okay. kick off. Just give us a premise then. So the premise of Babylon 5 is... That um, it's set in the future. In the future. In space future. It, the year is 2259. Okay. Uh, the, so it's that's the year. And in the future, mankind has reached the stars. And uh, But there's all kinds of aliens. And unlike Star Trek, not everyone is part of a happy federation. Uh, the uh, humans are part of the Earth Alliance. And that's all there is in the terms of humans. They, they're not, they don't hang out with other aliens. They're, there's not a federation where everyone's working together. It's, um, it's just the Earth Alliance. And in fact, the Earth Alliance has its own problems. Uh, it has Fox News, basically. It has ISN, <laughs> right, which was Fox News, um, the Instellar News Network. Uh, it has a corrupt government. Um, it has dissidents. Uh, Mars. They've we uh, uh, the future Earth has colonized Mars, but Mars wants independence from Earth, and so there's bombings and riots and things like that. They keep referencing in the backstory the food riots of Mars, and things like that. So uh, Earth is not one big happy thing. It's not like Star Trek at all. Uh, but then you have all these other races. You have the Centauri. You have the Narn. You have the Mimbari, and uh, loads of other races. And what's happened is. Uh, Earth was going out into the space um, and they're meeting these other races and they're making political things and they do pretty well. There's this big war in the past called the Dilgar War and Earth comes out on top. The Dilgar are made extinct. Earth comes out on top and it's kind of seen as like the new rising star in intergalactic politics. And they get arrogant and cocky and they meet the Mimbari. And the Mimbari are a good thousand years ahead of us, technologically speaking. And the Mimbari, they piss off the Mimbari. It goes, there's a disastrous first contact situation. Uh, and there's a whole TV movie called In the Beginning, which details the whole Earth-Mimbari war. Which is brilliant, by the way. It's really excellent. I don't think I saw that. You, you did. There's no way I didn't let oh, you see okay. it. Yeah, like you definitely saw it. <laughs> okay. uh, it's really great. Uh, it gives away a lot of the uh, season one and season two plot lines. Because a lot of season one and two is built around what happens in the Mimbari War. But it's excellent. It's really excellent. In fact, if you haven't seen any Babylon 5 and you want to get into it, watch that. It's really good. Um, so in the, so um, that's in the beginning. So there's this big war between the Earth and the Mimbari. And the Mimbari uh, basically don't lose any battles. They just keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. And um, uh, Earth is the human race is almost made extinct. And then, <laughs> at the eve of their victory, they've got their ships and everything. They're about to win the war and kill all the humans on Earth. The Mimbari surrender. You know what? They surrendered. And no one really understands why. And what uh, the Earth Alliance decides to do is they decide to build um, a sort of United Nations type of thing. A neutral space station that people can go to and uh, work out their differences peacefully because the whole Earth-Mimbari war started because of a cultural misunderstanding. And it's brilliant, the cultural misunderstanding, which is the Mimbari, to show that they are open-gestured, show with their gun ports open. <laughs> and the humans oh, thought they were about to attack. So the humans fired. And that's and they killed one of the their, their religious leader, Dukat, 
<laughs> right? They kill their religious leaders who cut, and, and um, this is in audio format. But Bass just gave me a look that yeah. That so there's a lot. There's a lot of things where Babylon Five was pitched to Paramount, and then Paramount declined it, and then made a show about a space station called Deep Space Nine. And there's so many, so many parallels. <laughs> One of the things being Ducat, right? Like there's a major character called Ducat in um in DS Nine. Anyway, uh, but anyway, so they killed they killed the Ducat, and that caused this huge Earth Mimbari war. So Babylon, so the Babylon station was designed to give people a place to talk peacefully and uh, the first four Babylon stations didn't work the first three were sabotaged and destroyed the fourth station disappeared mysteriously no one knows what happened to it and then Babylon 5 is the last Babylon station and that's the one this story is about Uh, so it opens with them uh, just having sort of finished building Babylon 5 and the ambassadors for all the alien races are showing up on Babylon 5 and this is the the, the start of it. And so the year is 2258, the name of the place is Babylon 5. That's how your episode starts. Like, you know. See, much like the show, what what you as an audience won't realise, and I do because I've got the notes in front of me, is just how much of the later podcast Bass has just set up yeah. by dropping in different bits of plotline. Yeah. Okay, right. so it's, it's going to be exciting. So, this is what we're talking about when I say about long-form plotting. Like, this is the premise of the show, and you will realise how almost everything I just said is a key setup to what's going to come in this show, because it's just so... But great. also a key set up to what's going to come in this podcast. So let's, oh, that's what I was getting inception. at. Inception. <laughs> uh, oh. Okay. Okay. So in the Battlestar Galactica podcast, we talked about why not plotting out your long form story is so detrimental. We explained that there's all kinds of problems that happen, right? So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to show you what J. Michael Zinsky was able to do because he had plotted out Babylon 5. And again, Spoilers, okay? So now we're going to get into it. Okay, so one of the things that he was able to do was trapdoors. He called them trapdoors. So what Straczynski did is he knew that actors will die, (laughs) they'll get fired, uh, they'll quit, they'll get into scandals, you know? He knew that you can't necessarily rely on actors, okay? So Straczynski planned out on 110 5x3 cards in a portfolio 110 episodes. That's the five seasons. Okay, mm-hmm. he planned them all out on five by three cards. Hilariously, people were always trying to find out where did he keep the where's the plot. Like they want people wanted to know what was going to happen next. And after the show had finished, he told everyone it's in this folder that I've labor left lying around. Like no one, he just left it hiding in plain sight. No one picked up on it that this was the big binder full of plot. No one picked up on it. But so he had a he had something for so he had all these characters. He plotted everything out, and he knew that sometimes some actors might leave, and some actors uh, and things might change. So he had to have trapdoors for plot lines. So here was a plot line that he had in the show of Babylon Five. Um, he had a character in the pilot, the first officer called Laurel Takashima, and Laurel Takashima, unbeknownst to her, was a sleeper agent. In the show, you have telepaths. And Earth has a specific telepath group called the Psycor. And the Psycor is really sort of Orwellian, 1984 type thing. And one of the things that they can do is they can reprogram people. And so Laurel Takashima was a character who had a second personality put into her by the Psycor. Okay? And that personality is called Control. 
And in the pilot, there is an assassination attempt on one of the ambassadors, Ambassador Kosh. They try to, someone tries to assassinate him. And it involves a conspiracy involving a Mimbari and so on. Uh, but there's certain elements of the conspiracy that aren't fully explained in the gathering. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of mysteries. One is who, how the Mimbari assassin was able to navigate the station. And the other one is something the Mimbari assassin says to Sinclair, the captain of the station. He says to him, there is a hole in your mind, which we'll get to later. Um, so, but this whole thing of like, there seems to be a character in on Babylon 5 who is sort of a saboteur. And Straczynski's plan was it was Laurel Takashima, the first officer. She's control. Okay? She left after the pilot. <laughs> and he replaced her with another character called Susan Ivanova. Also, who left in the pilot was a character called Lita, who was the resident psychor commercial telepath on the station. She left. So did the doctor of the station, Benjamin Kyle. He also left. These actors all left. So, so all left after the pilot. After the pilot, they didn't get their contracts sure. renewed for the pilot, so they had to recast all three of these roles. So Laurel Takashima became Susan Ivanova, uh, Lita became Talia Winters, and Benjamin Cole became Richard Franklin. Okay, so you, again, you have your first officer, your commercial telepath, and your doctor. And he came up with a really ingenious reason for why they left, which was the only characters in the pilot who interacted with Kosh all got recalled to Earth. So this became a this allowed him to create a conspiracy in the show, which was why are all the people who saw Vorlons being pulled back? And of course, was it those three characters, those three characters, really, yeah. And more importantly than that, there's a whole thing which is the Vorlons wear giant encounter suits that conceal what they look like. Yeah. So that be, he allowed him to set up like what happens when like what do they look like without the suits on, and uh, that becomes a payoff at the end of season two. So. Uh, but the trapdoor thing, here's the problem with that situation, was he explained why they weren't on the station, but he had a problem, which was, what do I do with control? Because now I don't have control. I have this plot line of a sleeper personality. What do I do with it? So what did he do? He gave it to Talia, the psychor woman who comes on the station. Didn't give it to Ivanova, he gave it to Talia. So now Talia became this character who had a control in her. And so what he started doing, he started having her worm her way into the inner circle of the show. And as the show is building up, they're building up um, a Earth civil war between, um, you know, the democracy of Earth and this sort of Orwellian group called the Night Watch, which the Psychor are a part of, led by sort of uh, William Clark, who becomes the president when he assassinates the previous president. So there's this whole sort of Earth civil war conspiracy thing going on. And Talia, they they don't know, but Talia is actually um, a sleeper agent. She's a she's a mole, and so that gets paid off at the end of season two. So that's a trap door right there. You see, he had this plot line that he needed to have in there because it plays into the Earth Civil War. But he the actress left. So what do you do? So he just took control and gave it to another character. When you say control, you mean control is the name of the sleeper personality, right? Okay, yeah. Okay. So, so he just took that plot line and gave it to another character. That's that's the the trap door mechanism, you see. Yeah, which is great. Um, and uh, so, you that by because he knows, okay, I need this control plot line. I need this to happen. I need this to pay off. Blah 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 blah. He knows all these things. The actor dropping out 
lets him go, okay, how can I salvage this and give it to someone else? And so you go, okay, I give it to Talia. Whereas if you don't know where the plot line's going and you're setting something up and then the actor, actor leaves, what, you, what do you do? What do you do? And yeah. the audience is left hanging, wondering where this is going. And all of a sudden, the audience gets annoyed. So you, you drop that plot line. Think, You've seen that happen before, right? I think that's worth, yeah, I think that's worth highlighting the fact that ha- like that, that that idea of giving that plot line to another character because he knew he had to just never would have happened no. had he not planned it out. No, it would, never would have happened. Um, and uh, it, f- for example, um, in uh, uh, Galactica, um, there is a character, um, Bill, Billy, the press secretary, the first press secretary for yes. Rosalind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the actor hated being in the sci-fi show and he left, right? There's nothing comes as a result of him. Like that character wasn't involved in a plot line or anything. Yeah. Uh, his replacement ends up being one of the final five. Yeah. But it doesn't have anything close to what I just expressed with Talia and Laurel because clearly he was never meant to be part of the final five. Sure. There's nothing about. I mean, if he was, he would have died and resurrected, right? So um, it it's just one of those things where it's like he he was just a character. He just went. That's all there is to it. And yeah. there was no real plot line there. Um, it, I'm trying to think of an example of a, of a character that had like a big plot line attached. Oh, of course. I know one. Heroes. Uh, Heroes, there was the girl who uh, was a walking virus. Remember her? Season one? Season two. She had Oof. a brother who could control her powers. And her power was that she oh, became... Oh, yeah, yeah. She had this weird virus control thing. Hispanic? Yeah, Hispanic. Yeah, yeah I know. Right. And she... Uh, this is a much better example. And she... Um, there was this whole thing building up. So there was a plague that was supposed to wipe out people in the future. She had plague powers. Turns out her she's not the plague that's going to happen, but she had some sort of plague-related powers. You're waiting for her powers to clearly play into the big plague story arc yeah. that's coming. They had set something like this to come up. Uh, and then the writer's strike happened. They resolved the plague story before the writer's strike because they got cold feet. And then in season three, she's not in it. Right. Uh, they just like they give her uh, the cure and that's it done and say like, okay that plot line completely evaporated so if you watch season two now you see set up set up set up set up set up oh yeah there's no payoff right and that's because there's no trapdoor to deal with the fact that this actress like they didn't want her or they wanted to end that plot line or whatever they just didn't want to pay it off so it's just abrupt whereas in Babylon 5 you've got this thing where it's like the actress leaves He's sitting there going, how do I keep this plot line going? Gives it to another character and keeps all the same setups and payoffs and is able to actually engineer probably a better storyline because Talia is in a different position to Laurel because Talia is part of the cycle. So she's able she's able to use that. Sure. He's able to use that more effectively. Okay. Oh, and also, I mean, there's the whole thing about the love story that she's, she's a lesbian, right? She and Ivanova have a lesbian, have a lesbian sort of relationship thing that starts to brew. So it becomes really painful when Ivanova and Talia, um, when Talia gets revealed, because Ivanova is Takashima, right? She took over for Takashima. Sure. So you presume Ivanova is going to be in control. And in fact, they do a whole thing, which is Ivanova refuses, hates the telepaths, hates the cycle, because she says in her backstory that her mother was a telepath and she refused to be part of the cycle. So the cycle killed her with drugs, right? So they build up this thing. So when uh, Lita, Lita's the one who comes back on the station to say, I know there's a secret 
uh, saboteur, sleeper personality in the station. And the only way for me to do it is I have to scan you. I have to send the 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 word control to you telepathically. That will reveal. That will destroy your personality and replace you with the sleeper agent. Mm. And Ivanova refuses. <laughs> refuses, and they go, "Why? You've got to have a better reason." And I know you hate what happened with your parents, but you've got. And, she, and then Ivanova reveals she's a latent telepath. And so, therefore, she's like maybe a P1, which is like the lowest possible mm. telepath. But therefore, if the cycle find out, she either has to be part of the cycle or given the same drugs that killed her mother. And that's why she wants to keep it a secret. And so it's like, is she telling the truth <laughs> or is she lying? So you've got this whole thing building up. And at the same time, she's in love with Talia, who's part of the cycle. That's building up. And so when Talia turns out to be the... It's just this great... It's just great. And this whole right? great plotline is, is is generated out of the fact that the old one was jettisoned because the actors left. Yes, so he was able to improvise around it yeah. and create something better as a yeah. result. So that's the reason to plan out. You know, when, you, when you're writing, you make choices. You make as many choices as you can. But... Writers realize like their best scene will come because they've made nine bad choices, right? Their tenth choice is their best choice. Did, so he's able to make more choices because he's already made a whole bunch before he gets the one. To, the one to ten technique did that come from uh, from McKee? Yes, was that you? That was from McKee. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's from McKee. So if if you're not aware, of he it, mentions it in his. Sure, seminar. I thought he did. Yeah, yeah, I, he mentioned the seminar. The same before I'd read story and 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 you were studying. You mentioned that to me, so I've been yeah. doing this for for years. But yes. the one to ten technique, if you don't, if you if you're not aware of it, um, if you're coming up with an idea, you know, a, a particular plot turn or, or or anything really, you just keep writing down your ideas yeah. and you stop at multiples of ten. To I, that's yeah. I you write one to ten, and if ten is once you get to 10, you've generally, you've still got more you can come up with. Yeah. So you go to 1 to 20. And the idea is you're trying to force yourself to that point where you really are struggling to come up. You just keep doing it until you're struggling, struggling, struggling to come up with another choice. And the point of these choices is none, none of them have to be good. The point is to get them out of your head. Yeah. So a lot of the times when you're doing choices, like number seven is space cats, right? <laughs> and it's just like, forget it. Like That's out of my head. That was number seven. You just keep going, trying to build it. So for example, the example McKee uses in Story Seminar is where do the two lovers meet? Number one, singles bar. Number two, at work. Okay, what kind of work? Then you might go, okay, number three, they meet uh, working at a convention. They meet working in an office. They meet, and so on, right? Yeah. So you just keep building choice after choice after choice. You just write down as many locations as you can come up with. And then at some point, during making the list, after you finish the list, at some point, one choice will go, that's the choice to do it. Yeah. Uh, you might pick it because it's a counterpoint, because it's juxtaposition. Like, where do they meet? They meet at a wedding, right? Where do they meet? They meet at a funeral. Where do they, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, yeah. you try and work it out. So... You do these choices, and um, you, you realize that, like, uh, if you're, uh, I, I have a picture. I put it up on my Twitter. I can always put it up again. Yeah, let's put it up again. With okay, this I'll put it up again. Which is um, the story I was writing that I asked Makita to consult me with me on, which is what led to me getting the book deal and everything. That story that I have five by three cards, and the plot, the cards that I've kept, as maybe forty, and then there's this enormous stack of four hundred cards. That's the cut scenes. And I have that picture. And it, at first I took it for myself to go, hey, well done, Bass. Look how disciplined you've been. Like, you you, you know, your ratio is one to ten, right? Yeah. But uh, now I kind of put it up for people to go, like, this is what you're doing, guys. And it's actually something you can do. Like, you look at it and you think that's not possible. It's like, yeah, it is possible. You just do it every day. And you just keep working it out. So 
what Straczynski's done is because before he's come to write the episode with the actors, before he's even got the green light, he's already made all these choices. He's able to make more choices as they come. With because he'd gotten rid yeah. of the old ideas when he has to make these sudden yeah exactly changes. It's yeah. like well, it's not going to be a bad idea because he's already gotten all those. Yeah, it should it shouldn't yeah. be a terrible idea because he's got he's got his he's got his basic thing. Out. He knows what he's doing. Okay, let's move on. Next thing. So foreshadowing is the next thing that happens because you've played, which is that you get to set something up and then pay it off. And because this is the beautiful thing, because it's long form, you get to get payoffs that come so far down the road. You know, in a film, you know, Empire Strike. We did the whole podcast on Empire Strikes Back and how the payoff of "I am your father." Right, how that was amazing, and that goes back two films. Yeah. <laughs> right. This that's what four hours. Hmm. Okay. With long form plotting, you can have a thing that goes back four years. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like you can have a you can have a payoff that goes that far back, and so um, some good examples from Babylon Five. Um, there's a payoff that lasts a season, and the setup is people keep telling one of the characters, the chief of security, Michael Garibaldi. They keep telling him. Watch your back, Michael. Watch your back. Right? He keeps getting references to watch your back, Michael. Um, there's all these little setups. The payoff is in the season climax, season one climax. Garibaldi stumbles on the conspiracy to execute, to assassinate the Earth president, Santiago. Uh, and he starts working out who's behind it and everything. And just as he corners the assassins and he's about to stop them, he gets shot in the back by his trusted second assistant, Jack. And he gets shot in the back. And then season two, he's like in critical condition. Like he's not around for the first two episodes of season two because he's in intensive care. Like he, he almost dies. Yeah. They ha- they ha- and uh, to get him out of it, they use an, a healing artifact, which I'm going to bring up in a bit. Um, setups. Like it's just <laughs> so easy to do with this show. I love it. So that's, that's a whole season payoff, right? Little setup, setup. Watch your back, Michael. Watch your back. You see Jack. You see this. You see the problems the going great, on with them. The, the great thing about these setups as well is you don't see them. I remember I finished yeah. season one, and yeah. I was like, "Oh my god, Gary Body got shot!" And you just looked at me and just said, "Watch your back, Michael." And yeah. then just, oh my god, of course it's it behind it. Yeah, yeah, it's there the whole time. And that's that's the great joy of Babylon Five, which is why I was able to watch it every year. Like every year, I just watched the whole show again. I did that for like fifteen years because every time you watch, you go, oh, I didn't pick up on that little point. Oh, that's a great setup. That's a great setup, and it's just so rewarding because mm. that's the thing. It's so rewarding. <laughs> you invest all this time in the show, and yet it paid off because the writer treated his audience with respect. He didn't do the "we have a plan" nonsense. The plan um, is there is no plan. There is no um, plan. Another talk great about. Yeah, I was going to say, let's talk about a show-long Yeah, setup. so for me, the heart of Babylon 5 is a character played by Peter Jurisic called Londo Molari, and he speaks like this, Mr. Garibaldi. You know, Mr. Garibaldi, well, you know, this is how it is. Uh, and so Londo is my favourite character. He's from Centauri Prime, he has this weird hair. I love him. He's And he's such a beautifully tragic character. And... Um, Londo is a Centauri, and some Centauri have the ability to have sort of like a precognitive dream, where they can, some Centauri know how they're going to die, and they see it in a dream. 
And so Londo, in the first episode, Midnight on the Firing Line, not the pilot, the first episode, he tells Commander Sinclair, you know, my people, some of us, we know how we're going to die. It comes to us in a dream. And in my dream, I'm an old man. And I'm sitting. And there's another person. And we are strangling the life out of each other. Hands wrapped around our throat. The moment I saw Jakar, I knew it was him from the dream. And Jakar is the non-ambassador on the station. He's another alien ambassador on the station. The one-armed man. He's, he played Andreas <laughs> Katzlas. He was the one-armed man in The Fugitive. <laughs> That's true. Um, so he's the he's another ambassador. So he's telling the command, he goes, in the future, one day, one of us will be older and wiser, or both of us will be dead. So in the first episode, J. Mark lays down the law and says, Londo and Jakar in the future are going to strangle each other to death. That's that's where those two characters are going, and so that's the setup, right? And so every and so we see the dream. We actually see the dream at certain points. And every as the show goes on, we find a little bit more out about what Londo's dream, what actually is happening in Londo's dream. Until halfway through season three, they travel to the future. We get actually a scene taking in the future where Londo is an old man and he's on the throne of Centauri Prime. He's the emperor. Of Centauri Prime. And he's an old man. And Jakar is there. And it turns out Londo has a thing on his shoulder called a keeper. That takes control of him. So he's not in full control. And this keeper is going is part of an alien race that's going to destroy the Centauri. So Londo, the only way he can keep the keeper in control is by drinking lots of alcohol. So he's always drunk. Okay. And then... He he does a thing. He helps set up, set up free Delenn and Sheridan and so on. And then Jakar, who's old and has... And this is great. We've seen this shot so many times, which is Jakar has an eye patch. He's missing an eye. Okay. <laughs> which is just great. So at the moment in the show, Jakar has both his eyes, but he has an eye patch. And Londo... So this is in the future. Londo is old. He's the emperor. He's been controlled by a keeper. Jakar is there old with an eye patch. And Londo says to him, are you there, my old friend? <laughs> right, they're not enemies, right? They hate each other at the moment of the show. Like, you know, my old friend, I am as tired of my life as you are. And so Jakar starts strangling Londo to kill him. Londo doesn't strangle him back. Then the keeper wakes up, and the keeper makes Londo strangle Jakar, and then the two of them strangle each other to death. And that's brilliant, okay? But that's halfway through season three. The rest of the show has to play out. So in season four, Jakar loses his eye. Right? There's a bit where Emperor Kataja has Jakar at his beck and call, uh, has him as a prisoner. And he goes, I don't like the way he looks at me. Hmm, what should I do? Pluck out his eye. Which eye? Doesn't matter. That eye. Right? And he just, that's how Jakar loses the eye. And so we start to see all these little things play out. Because he set that up and told us where we're going, we get to see all these things play out. So there's a bit of dramatic irony now. He can do dramatic irony over five seasons. And the end of the show is Londo becoming emperor. Londo becomes emperor in like one of the last three or four episodes of the series. Of season five. Of season five. So he becomes the emperor at the very end. So um, we see him become emperor. We know where that's going to lead him. We know how all this stuff. And so he the, the, the plotting here that gives this character of Londo such a tragic, dramatic irony is amazing, right? It's just great. And that's that's 
that's just I think it's I think that's brilliant. You just don't get there. <laughs> you just... set up the next point when you mention the, the healing he- artifact. The healing artifact that gets Garibaldi out of his coma so from his shot in the back. So let's pay that up. So here's the, a third type of foreshadowing. So we saw one that's like takes a cr- across a season, it's kind of a thematic one. This one is a dramatic irony foreshadowing that takes place over five seasons. Bear in mind, Straczynski is yeah, I, I just need to make this clear. Straczynski was showing you the future. You couldn't do this if you don't know where you're going, right. how you're going to get there. He, it's not just, oh, I think at the end, Londo and Jakar will strangle themselves. He has to know how and why they're going to be in that situation in order to do all this setup. Do you see what I'm saying? He has to know how Jakar lost his eye before it's he can like, show the picture. So that's that's how much plotting has to go into that. I was trying to... It, it, I mean, it's a trope in uh, in movies where you, you, you start at the end and then... Yeah. You, you, you Sunset Boulevard. And... Yeah, Fight Club does it yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to think if you actually see this in TV shows, and of course they they sort of do it in Heroes, but only over a season where they show you glimpses of the future. Yeah, normally you don't get this, but the, over long form, over five seasons. Yeah, you, like this is this is the you don't obviously if you're doing a long form story you don't have to do this kind of dramatic irony foreshadowing, but the point is it's only possible if you've done this. Yeah, sure. sure. And and so he, uh, I think Londo is one of the great things of television. I think he's amazing. I think he's the best thing in Babylon 5, and Babylon 5 is a good show. And I think partly because Straczynski was able to do this. Yeah. And he was fortunate that Katsulas and Jurassic, the two actors, never left. I wonder, Do you know what the trapdoors were for those? I don't guys? know what the trapdoors were, but I know he had them. Yeah. I just don't know what they were. Sure. Um, so, um, and so, and so, so the third type of uh, setup is this healing artifact, which is it's just done in a couple of episodes. So, in one episode at the end of season one, it's just like an Alien of the Week episode. It's about capital punishment in the future, and they find a healing artifact. And the way it works is it gives your life force to someone else. Okay? So it allows you to give up your life force to heal other people. And it seems like a really nice thing, but the whole episode's about capital punishment. It turns out the healing artifact is a form of capital punishment. That's what it was designed for. It's the alien race made it. The whole point being people who have been sentenced to death, you use them to cure the sick. Right. That's the whole point of the healing artifact. It gets confiscated from the from the traveler on the station who has it, uh, and uh, they use it to kill a serial killer and heal themselves uh, and save their daughter and everything. So this healing artifact, they it gets they, it gets confiscated and impounded, and the doctor Stephen Franklin um, Garibaldi is the only witness to the assassination of Santiago, the president, and he's lying in intensive care and he's dying, and there's no way to save him. And Franklin goes, there is one way we can use the healing artifact. So this is a payoff two, two, three episodes later. Sure. They use the healing artifact. They save Garibaldi. That's it. Healing artifact never brought up again. End of season four. Susan Ivanova is in critical condition after a big battle in space. She's, she's completely paralyzed from the neck down. She's going to die in a few, like a day or two. That's it. One of the characters, Marcus, loves her completely loves her and refuses to accept that she's going to die and he wants to try and find out how he can save her and he is talking to dr franklin and franklin slips that there might be a way uh, but he won't go any further into detail so marcus goes on it goes onto the computer and hacks into the computer into franklin's records and searches all through his records to find what franklin could be referring to discovers the healing artifact 
breaks into Babylon 5, gets the healing artifact, and kills himself, saving Ivanova. So Ivanova comes back to life, fully healed, and Marcus dies. And that's the payoff to the healing artifact. There's three episodes over the course of seasons one, two, and four. Right? And it's just this brilliant. You can't, you, it's just so satisfying. You can't get this. Your soul looks nourished right I now. I love it. It's just great. It's just great. Um, let's move on. Yeah. Um, retcons. Yeah, so I mentioned in the Galactica thing that one of the problems if you don't plan things out is you start retconning because you start get, writing yourselves into corners that you can't get out of, so you retcon. And the big retcon is um, the final five in Galactica. And what happens is a retcon is you go, here's the world and the laws of our world, and we've defined them. And then you either say, okay, we're going to change those laws or we're going to take a bit we didn't define and use that to change the laws. You know, we're going to use the, the undefined bits. And another example of that would be uh, The Matrix Reloaded, right? Yeah, so everything was neatly explained, explained and, everything. and rounded off. The and backstory made sense. And yeah. then they go vis-a-vis concordantly. The architect sort of makes up a whole bunch of things that was never around before that explains that Neo isn't really Neo, but he's like, he's not the one. He's like the 13th one. And it's just a cycle. And they come up with all this stuff in the backstory that wasn't there before. To and it's just like this wasn't you kind of unwritten the first film. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of retroactively changing the continuity of it. Hence retcon. Uh, Terminator Genesis, the film, is an entire retcon of the of the whole franchise in an attempt to jumpstart the franchise again, which is also what Star Trek did. And in both those cases, like there's no reason to do a retcon; just do a reboot. Just start mm. again. So a retcon is really unsatisfying. A reboot is fine. People get that. Actors change. Like, we get it. It's just a reboot. You're starting again. Like, people have accepted this is what happens, right? Um, but a retcon, I mean, ugh, anyway. So, but Babylon 5 doesn't have any retcons. At least I can't think of any. Everything is set up in the past and it plays out consistently. Um, as I, as we've, As you've seen already like in all the setups and payoffs that i've given you so far like everything is just he sets it up and then it pays off years later and he's not changing the continuity is there any just whilst it's on my mind is there anything that he wasn't able to pay off um i'm assuming he wasn't he wouldn't if there is he wouldn't have been able to it's not like a mistake there are payoffs there are there are things in the show i think that he doesn't pay off but he never was going to Sure. For example, he never pays off the Bester Garibaldi storyline. We never get the final confrontation between Bester and Garibaldi. Okay. Which I think is a mistake. I actually told <laughs> that to his face as well. And I met him at, um, at a comic convention. I said to my kind of, I, I said, I wish he'd done that because we got the payoff for Londo and Reefer, but we never yeah. got the Bester Garibaldi one. And his response was, well, it was never supposed to be paid off. Yeah. And I felt that was unfair because we really wanted it. Um, but that's not the same thing. No, 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 no. Uh, that's that's best you could say that was a, 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 a misjudgment on his part, as opposed to um, he set something up and just got lazy or messed up or did it wrong. It was like no, no, it, it's not that kind of payoff. I mean, best of Garibaldi got this amazing payoff. Jeez, with the whole sleeper personality in Garibaldi. Garibaldi gets a sleeper, but it's just unbelievable. <laughs> um, it's just so good. Um, it's it's not like they've. Crashed on a desert on a, on an island. No. And all sorts of weird things are happening. And- no, I can't. I can't think. I mean, I watched this show. I've watched this show. I, I don't know at least a dozen times, from start to finish. 
and I genuinely can't think of a plot line that he brought up and didn't resolve. I mean, Crusade obviously didn't resolve, but it got cancelled. Sure. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't think of anything like that in Babylon. Okay. I really can't. Everything gets paid off. Lita gets paid off. Um, every character gets paid off. So uh, there's and there's no retconning. He doesn't have to go back and change how things worked once or define an area we didn't know about in order to expl- get a story going. Um, the um, the the Mimbari War from the pilot. There's this big thing of the Mimbari surrendered, and there's a pi- and this is the best bit. Commander Sinclair was at that battle and he blacked out for twenty four hours, and when he woke up the Mimbari surrendered. Yeah. And so there's this big thing of, there is a hole in your mind. <laughs> and so what is go- what happened on those 24 hours? And you find out in episode 9 what happened in the 24 hours. And then you go, okay, then why did the Mimbari surrender? You find out in season 2. Yeah. But that's not the end of the story. It keeps going and going. And so... Uh, you know what, what you're mentioning that now? Do you want to come? Yeah, with that's that? that's what I was thinking. It's yeah. like it's not a retcon. It's this is how the show has all every. You see, the retcon is would would be like this. I don't know what happened on the Battle of the Line, so when I reveal it, it's going to be inconsistent with how people have been reacting towards that mystery, right? Because if you say Delenu, what happened at the Battle of the Line line, and then you say this is what happened, then you go, well, why did Delen act this way? Previously, so uh, here's a great one: DS9. Doctor Bashir turns out to be genetically engineered. Yeah. If you watch DS9 now, there are some times where the genetic engineering thing is brilliant. It's like, oh wow, yeah, of course that makes sense. And then there are other times you go, this makes no sense at all. <laughs> this is a total retcon, right? It sure. goes back and forth because sometimes Bashir makes perfect sense. Oh yeah, of course he's. There's an episode called The Blight. The Quickening, I think it's called, actually. Where he goes to a planet and there's a disease and he's arrogant enough to think he can cure this disease by himself. Well, if he's genetically engineered, this makes perfect sense. Sure. Right? But then there's another episode where like, he's talking about how he failed his exams. And you go, Ah, I don't think he's genetically engineered. <laughs> I'm sure they address that. Don't they no. say he did it on purpose? No, they, they no they they say he did it on purpose uh, way before he was genetically engineered. But oh, there's right. certain, but that that I don't <laughs> think was even a thing. That, oh, so, okay. so, there's okay. all kinds of like yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's a retcon. So but in Babylon Five, that's not the case. In Babylon Five, when you find out what happened at the Battle of the Line, everyone's reactions are consistent with that being the thing that happened at the Battle of the Line. And speaking of the Battle of the Line, so that's what we can call a sort of historical revelation or a revelation from the backup backstory. It's a setup of the future. And then it pays off the past. You get to do both, right? Because you've worked out where your show is going and where your show has been, you can set up future events and you can pay off past events. You can do this. So the And the big one for Babylon 5 is the Mimbari War. In the backstory, you have this big Mimbari War. There's a 24-hour blackout period for the Commander Sinclair. He wakes up, the Mimbari surrender. Why? What's going on? Well, it turns out that in this 24-hour period, Sinclair tried to ram the capital ship of the Mimbari. It doesn't work. It's because Sinclair's badass. Because Sinclair is a badass. And Sinclair gets taken aboard the Mimbari ship where they interrogate him. And during the interrogation, the Mimbari discovered that Sinclair has a Mimbari soul. The Mimbari 
have this whole thing where they believe in souls. I mean, there's soul collectors and stuff. They believe in souls, and they say, have been saying they've noticed that the so Mimbari souls aren't being born in Mimbari bodies. There's a diminishing of souls. What's going on? And when they found Sinclair at the Battle of the Line and they interrogated him and discovered he had a Mimbari soul, they realized Mimbari souls are going into human bodies. And one of their key rules is Mimbari do not kill Mimbari. Okay? So that means, and they have this whole purity thing and like racial thing, so they can't kill the Earth people. But they can't reveal this. They can't suddenly tell everyone, oh yeah, by the way, uh, hey, racial purity Mimbari. Uh, kind of half human. That doesn't work, right? And the humans don't buy this stuff. They don't know what to think about this. So they surrendered. That's why they surrendered. And we find that out at the beginning of season two. It's explained fully. And one of the th reasons it's revealed is because Delenn undergoes a metamorphosis to become half human as a sort of redressing of the scales. Okay? So as a way of hopefully bridging the gap between the two races, which is a huge, huge sort of political, racial problem in the show. She's doing this. She loses so much power at home. Um, it creates this huge xenophobia on Earth. Like, it's really fantastic stuff. And this is, and this is all built out of what happened on the Battle of the Line, right? But that's not the end of the story. It keeps going. And the next bit of the story is <laughs> Babylon 4, right? Remember I mentioned Babylon 4? Babylon 4 was set up, right? I said, what happened to Babylon 4? Babylon 4 disappeared. That was really weird. Well, it turns out Babylon 4 shows up later on in the show, and it's out of time. It's jumping through time. Something's gone wrong with time on the ship, and someone has hijacked Babylon 4 and is taking it somewhere. And there's one alien on the ship that no one's ever met before called Zathras. Oh, yes. Zathras, that's how he talks, he's got this weird clicky thing. And he explains that they've taken it for a war. And they ask, when is the war? And he gives the date as 9872 or something like that. But we don't know where he's from. So we don't know if that's the past, the future, the present. We don't know where Babylon 4 has to go, because we don't know what his alien species is, we don't know what his calendar is. Uh, so what's happening with Babylon 4? Well, turns out, who stole Babylon 4? The cast of Babylon 5 stole Babylon 4. They go back in time to steal Babylon 4. And they go to take Babylon 4 into the past because Babylon 4 was the big hub where they did all the strategizing from for the last Shadow War a thousand years ago. Because the Shadow War is the thing, right? There's this alien race called the Shadows that's coming out. So Babylon 4 is this really important thing a thousand years ago. Okay, so the c crew of Babylon 5 steal Babylon 4, and one of them has to go back with Babylon 4 a thousand years in the past. Who goes back with the station? Jeffrey Sinclair. But in order to get there, what does he have to do? He has to make himself a Mimbari because they'd never accept it from a human, right? So he does the same thing Delenn did to become half human. He does the same thing to become half Mimbari, goes back in time, becomes Valen, who we've heard about repeatedly all the time through the show. And they keep going, oh yes, Valen, he's one of our most important religious figures. He helped us beat the Shadows a thousand years ago. He's a Mimbari, not born of Mimbari. All this stuff has been going on for in the background for three seasons. And then Valen goes, it goes back in time and goes, I'm Valen. And you go, that's why he has a Mimbari soul, because he went back in time and has been breeding since then. He had kids. So loads of Mimbari are half human. And it's just this huge. So that, that is what's called a payoff. <laughs> 
Right? That's a payoff. That's a great setup payoff. He sets up the future, literally, and pays off the past, literally. Right? And that's what you can get by planning your series out. In my Mic head, drop. In my head, for a moment, you became Charlie from <laughs> It's Always Sunny. In With Carol. End. Carol! It, yeah. 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 <laughs> Who is Carol? Anyway. Who is Carol? There's no Carol. And there's strings all over the wall. Yeah. This is all linked and back in time. Right? But like you've got these two completely... You've got three separate sub uh, stories. You've got the Shadow War, Babylon 4, and the Mimbari War. And Straczynski beautifully pays off all three in a single storyline that spans a thousand years. You can't, and, and also goes to the future because that's why they, remember I mentioned earlier Londo, they go to the future and see Londo. That's part of why they're able to go to the future because part of when they try to steal Babylon 4, it gets unstuck in time and they end up jumping to the future. Okay, so his, his, that storyline allows him to pay off the 10 years backstory before the show begins, the 20 years future story after the show ends that we never see, and the thousand years backstory beyond that. And it's just like, this is this is what you can do if you plan it out. Yeah. If you plan it out, this... Like, obviously not every show. Like, Fargo's all planned out. Fargo doesn't do this. Hmm. But Babylon 5 isn't just... Is, is planned out to such a degree that you can get these kind of storylines and turning points. And this is why I'm not impressed with things like Game of Thrones. Or lost or anything like that, because I've seen this show so many times and I've appreciated it for what it is. And f- this is why I keep talking about like this is the precursor for all this stuff. Like this is this is how far you can take this. Is it and term- I want someone else to take it this far. I thought Game of Thrones was going to and it didn't. But I this, really is, wanted it. this is in terms of, of, of proper long form storytelling yeah. though. I mean you, you brought up Fargo, but Fargo is um, Ten episodes. It's it's ten episodes and then yeah. season two moves yeah. somewhere else. Well, okay, Sopranos going. doesn't do this. No, Sopranos. The Wire say, doesn't do Sopranos, this. Sopranos, Wire, uh, Breaking Bad as well. Yeah, no, none of them. I mean, Breaking Bad's obviously and The Wire and The Sopranos. They're amazing shows. Yes. But in terms of what you can do from long form plotting, they don't come close to Babylon 5. They just don't. There's nothing in, in, in Sopranos, The Wire, or, um, or Breaking Bad that is th- like this. That is this dense in terms of long form plotting. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're worse, obviously. No, I was going to bring that up. That's not my point. There's a distinction between um, excellent long-form plotting and that show being like better than anything. Babylon 5 isn't better than Breaking Bad. Or or The Wire. Or The Wire. Breaking Bad Bad and The Wire are kind of like masterpieces, okay? But Babylon 5, like, just in terms of long-form plotting, you got to step back and go like, this does long-form plotting the way Breaking Bad does character. Right. They, okay, yeah. like it's just and the way uh, the wire does social commentary, it's just perfect. It's just you don't get better than this. Yeah, just don't. Um, and the last thing we can talk about uh, before we finish up is improvisation. Uh, we mentioned this with the trapdoors. Straczynski can improvise uh, his show around the beats, and so War Without End. Uh, happened a lot earlier than he originally intended. War Without End is what? Is the Valen storyline, the Babylon 4 storyline. Sure. When does that come in? Season 2 Middle of Season 3. Season 3. Yeah. And he did that then because he realised it was the best time to do it. He wouldn't have time to do it in Season 4. He he was looking at... You see, this is the great thing. He was looking at his story and realised he has to do the Babylon 4 storyline, but he can't delay it any longer because if he does, it's going to get crammed into something else. It has to happen now before certain other things happen in the story. It has to happen before the end of season, um, uh, season three, 
right? So he has to do it at this point. But at the same time, he has to work around the fact that getting Michael O'Hare, who played Sinclair, he has to get him back. He has to work around the fact that in the original Babel 4 episode, you see uh, Sinclair from the future, and he's really old. He, they put old makeup on yeah. him. So they have to explain why Sinclair can suddenly age a huge great deal. And they do that by explaining, well, because he was on Babylon 4 once before, he's he his time he, he doesn't have a thing protecting him from the time jump, so that's why he ages. But then the problem is, well, Garibaldi can't come along. Because Garibaldi will then also get affected the same way. And the fact that the actor who played Garibaldi and the actor who played uh, Sinclair hated each other probably worked quite well out as well. Yeah. So he kept Garibaldi off the, out of that episode. Off the station, he had to come up with a good reason for why he wasn't this. Can we so just, he had to improvise around it. Can we just loop back around quickly to Sinclair? Because yeah. he was um, uh, that uh, Straczynski needed a trapdoor for him, didn't he? Yes, he did. Because he left after season one. He left after season one. It transpires that he had uh, severe mental problems. and um, This only came out after his after death. His pa- after right. he passed away, uh, they, Straczynski and O'Hare had a pact which was only. Um, uh, they'd only tell this story after one of them had died. Sure. Uh, and so O'Hare died first, unfortunately. And so they explained that. And his thing was like, look, that people need to know if the commander of Babylon Five could go through this, then anyone can go through this. And so it's important. But he had these it's like being on a show for twenty episodes uh, just broke him. Yeah. It's just too much. So he had to go. Um, and when he went, they had a whole bunch of things. Like um, there was a trap door, not just for Sinclair, which became Sheridan. But there was also a trapdoor for Sinclair's girlfriend, Catherine Sakai, who became Anna Sheridan. Mm. Uh, and Sheridan's wife took up that plot line. And it allowed Sinclair, he, ke- he kept the Mimbari stuff with Sinclair because too much of that had been set up. And he knew, okay, if I just get him back once, I can pay it off. With War Without with End. With War Without End. Yeah. Whereas Sheridan, he took all the Shadow War stuff. And gave that to Sheridan. Of course. Okay. So he that's how he, he kind of split up that role. And yeah. one of the things that he pointed out was it made it better because it was less coincidental. Sure. If it had all been one character, they'd have been too much like the prophesized chosen one. It would have been too random. It's of- Whereas this way, it, it, he split it up between not... And by the way, he didn't just take that. He went a step further and made Delenn part of it. Yeah. So the three of them became this sort of nexus. It's, an, it's another great example of like having... Having something plotted out, something goes wrong, and actually the the end result was better. Yeah. Because he had planned it so well yeah. and just made these other choices instead. One of the things that really worked with the war with that end for me is because I knew that because um, I loved Sheridan in the first season. Yeah. Uh, sorry, not Sinclair. Sorry. Yeah. And when Sheridan came in, I kept being annoyed that it wasn't. Yeah. Sinclair, because I, I, I. Yeah, me too. Right. Yeah. Um, but my so because I knew he wasn't in the show, and my so I, I may have even found out or my assumption being that okay something's gone wrong he's quit or whatever yeah. like that's why he's not in the show yeah. sure no problem which is why when war without end comes back back around I'm like oh my god that he's come back they're he's paying it off back. and yeah. it, it just yeah. made it seem like it was planned out it didn't yeah. all of a sudden it that's felt because, like it wasn't improvised because he knew where he's going he's able when he starts he knows what he has to change sure yeah. so because he knows what he has to change he can start setting up the new change yeah. before we've even noticed he's changed anything. It's like, okay, so Sinclair's got to go at the end of season one. Okay, fine. So from season two onwards, he's he's already rewriting and working. He So in between season one and season two, Sinclair leaves, the actor leaves. He hires a new actor. What does Straczynski do? He immediately, clearly sat down and went, okay, how do I fix the Valen story? 
Yeah. Fixes the Baywood story. And then, as soon as season two starts, he's already rewritten it and worked out how to start doing setups for it. Yeah. So when the payoff comes in season three, it's seamless. Because he's he knows where it's going. He yeah. can he can adapt around it and keep everything consistent. He knows, like, okay, I made this setup. I can't change that setup. So how do I make that setup pay off in a different, slightly different way? Bearing in mind that I know the ultimate payoff is this. It's just great. Anything left on improvisation? Uh, yeah, it went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Season five, uh, there's this whole terrifying story where Straczynski's in Blackpool and uh, at a convention, and, he's, and he has to do work at the convention. And the reason he has to do work is season four, back behind the scenes, everything went wrong. They were going to get cancelled in season four. So Straczynski made the final episode, Sleeping in Light, which takes 20 years after everything has happened. It's 20 years in the future. They're all old and it's the Sheridan's last days, right? And he's filmed that. And it's like, that's the end of the show. And then they get renewed for season five. Yay! However... However, that means he has to record a new season four finale because he can't use the one he's just done. That has to be at the end of season five now. So he has to make a new season four finale. Okay. Then the actress who plays Ivanova played hardball with her agent and contracts. Uh, Apparently the way it seems to work is the agent is the problem in this story. The agent messed it up completely. Ivanova wanted, the actress wanted to get more money, thought she could get more money. And the agent convinced her she could get more money because the agent thought you can't do season five without Ivanova. So they'll pay whatever they can, right? We can bleed them dry. All the other actors were like, we all want to do the show. We don't want to bleed Joe Straczynski dry. We like him. It's been really good to us. So, and Joe's like, here's the door open. Here's the best we can do like that to the wire. At which point she messes, misses the deadline and the contract elapses, and so they have to hire a replacement. And that's when the actress goes, okay, now we can get talking about really what we're going to pay me to come back for season five. It's like, it's too late. You're not in season five. Which is a problem because Marcus died saving that character. <laughs> so Straczynski now has lost Ivanova, right? He's got a season five he's got to do. And if that wasn't enough, at Blackpool, the hotel... Uh, room service threw out all the cards the binder full of cards he spent apparently he was in the skips of the hotel looking for them and he couldn't find them so he lost all his notes so season five if you watch season five the first half of season five doesn't work because that is genuine improvisation the first half of season five is Straczynski doing what the people of Galactica did, what Lost did, and all that stuff, which is he's making it up as he goes along. Because the plot line for the first half of season five was supposed to be about Ivanova, dealing with the fact that Marcus died and with her hatred of the Psychor. But because Ivanova wasn't around, what did he do? He replaced her with Lockley, who I love. I love Captain Lockley. She's like, I, I prefer her to Ivanova. But that she couldn't have the plot line. So who did they give the plot line to? They gave the plot line to Lita. She became the trap door. But because he didn't have the plot for it, and it, he didn't know it well enough, he couldn't work out how to pull it off. And so everything kind of fell apart. It didn't work. Byron was supposed to be a character who looked and reminded you of Marcus. Right. For a reason. Because it was supposed to be Ivanova. But because it's Lita, it doesn't work, right? So the whole first half of season five 
falls apart, but then the second half of season five is all the Londo stuff to do with the fall of Centauri Prime, how he gets his keeper, how he becomes Emperor, and Jakar, and he knew that like the back of his hand, and so that's why the second half of season five is really great. That's all about the Drach, it's all about the raiding on the shipping lines, that stuff is brilliant. The second half of season five, after Byron goes away... Is brilliant. That's good old Babylon Five, but the first half doesn't work. Is there, an, is there an element of um, perhaps I'm playing devil's advocate here, not having a good enough trapdoor for Ivanova? No, he had a trapdoor for Ivanova. He had uh, Lita's a fine trapdoor for Ivanova. Oh, okay. It's just that he he didn't have his notes. Ah, uh, okay. He did. I wrote it down so I wouldn't have to remember. You know, like that. He lost seriously. Like imagine if Vince Gilligan is running the fifth season of Breaking Bad, and he sits down to write it, and suddenly. All the hard drives are dead. There's this was 1994, right? This was before USB and USB sticks and Wi-Fi and Dropbox yeah. and you could sync things. This was like everything's handwritten, right? <laughs> and it's all gone. Like, uh, now you're working on what? You're working on just your memory. But when you do, when you write, you don't. I mean, you couldn't get you couldn't get anyone about of Breaking Bad to tell you from memory one episode they wrote. You couldn't get Ryan Johnson to tell you the script for the episode he directed, Ozymandias, off the top of his head. He couldn't rewrite it. Ryan Johnson did that? Yeah. Wow. He couldn't He couldn't do it, right? If you asked him, like, set them down, he could do it from memory. You can't do it. You can't keep it all in your head like that. That's got... Um, so really off track here. Ozymandias has 10 out of 10 on IMDb. <sighs> and I, sorry, I, only, I saw this the other day because I was, I was putting some stuff up for the Fly episode. Okay. Um... Yeah, 10 out of 10 on IMDb. And I thought, I felt sorry for the final two episodes. <laughs> I thought it was such a burn on the actual, f- uh, on okay. um, uh, on Felina. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 got, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Um, but, <laughs> so I, I would suggest that it's not that he didn't have a good enough trapdoor. He probably did. He probably just lost it. Sure, it's a perfect storm of. It's of, just a perfect storm of failure, and and it's not. And I genuinely like. You watch the first half of season five. It's not good. It's it's not. Is it forgivable? Is it just? Really I not I good? forgive it because I know what went on backstage. Okay. But I if if I didn't know about that stuff, I wouldn't forgive it. Like I, I think it's I'm, just it's really weak. But the second half I'm of season five remember, is brilliant. I'm trying to remember how I felt when I watched season five because it's a good ten years since Bored. I watched it. Bored, I think. <laughs> you were just but bored. But I, I definitely knew at that point that it was supposed to end at season four and then yeah. got another one. Yeah, and um, the second half of season five, the ending of it is just excellent. And yeah. so you forgive yeah, you forgive yeah. it anyway. But see, but if you're re-watching Babylon 5, that bit is... The only reason I like watching that bit is I really, I really like Captain Lockley. I'm going to have to <laughs> like Captain Lockley. She's great. Um, okay, I think it's very important that we summarise because yes, we've covered there's a lot. so much. Yes. So... Um, I just think it's so obvious how dense the plotting of this show is, just oh, from retelling it. Yeah. And you just you just realise like And think about how little you're retelling as well. Yeah, this is five seasons. Like there's characters I haven't even brought up. Like sure. I, I haven't brought up Lanier. What happens with the Lanier? Here's big payoff. This is not the time to bring up a new character right? or Morden. <laughs> like there's so much Lorien. Oh god, Morden. No, I remember Morden. Morden, right, right, Mr. Morden. Right. Oh, there there was one other type of payoff. Which was the thematic payoff? Oh, I didn't yeah. mention. Okay, this. well, listen. I'll do that in the we'll, summary. Yeah, we'll do it in the summary. Okay. So, uh, okay. Just summaries. It's just so good, Babylon Five. I see him. Listen. I'm oh, sorry. Summaries. Trapdoor. So trapdoors. 
if you're doing long form plotting and you're making plot lines and stuff and you're going to plan out your series and again you don't have to but if you're going to plan out your series so you can pay things off seasons later you need to also be aware of trapdoors you need to think of how you're going to if something goes wrong how you're going to pick this story up and bear in mind that the trapdoors will have to change the further into the show you get because uh, as we saw with Valen this once you do certain setups You've you've started down a chain of events that you can't just break, yeah. Without retconning, so now every step you go forward, if something happens, you've got to go. Okay, wait, we've got to change something. And like sometimes shows, if an actor dies, the show gets cancelled. Like that's it. That's happened. Yeah, that's complete. That's that's a thing that's happened. You know, to shows like the the main character dies, and that's the end of the show. Uh, Spartacus had to do a whole season that was, I think, a prequel because the main actor died. Oh, really? Yeah. Things like that. So trap doors are things that you don't... It's just one of those things. You, It's like, you know, you don't want to plan for them, but it's a thing that can happen. Like, yeah, you know what? What if Brian Cranston turned out to be an absolute horrible person to work with? What do you do in Breaking Bad? Well, Jesse becomes Heisenberg, right? You kill off Walt and you turn Jesse into Heisenberg. Sure. That's what you do. Yeah. Right? Um... But that's... Do you see what I mean? Like, you yeah, have to have yeah, trapdoors yeah. like that because if you're... Because you're, you're, you're putting on yourself, I'm planning something out that's going to pay out in three years. You have to have the sense of mind to go, actually, in three years, who knows where we're going to be. Yeah. So you have to just... You have to be conscious okay. of it. Um, foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, when you plan out, you have this great thing where you can foreshadow turning points to come. You can set things up. In a way that you would never be able to set up in a full-length story, you you have you have an opportunity with long-form storytelling to do foreshadowing and set up some payoffs and turning points in a way that no one, that no other form allows you to do. Which we saw with um, the Londo dramatic irony, five-season dramatic irony, right? So you've got you can have set up some payoffs that last from one end of the show all the way to the other end of the show. You can have these setups and payoffs that are just episodic. They pop up once here, once there, and then finally there. You can have a sort of setups and payoffs that last just a season, and then they're done. And then, as I was just about to mention, you can have thematic setups and payoffs, yes. where you can set up the theme. So in uh, the first episode that was shot, but it's like episode six, Infection, there's a bit where Garibaldi tells Sinclair, you know, ever since the Battle of the Line, I think you have post-traumatic stress disorder, and I think you're not looking, you know, people uh, are always looking for something worth dying for, but you're not looking for anything worth living for. That's like in the very first season, one of the first episodes of the first season. In season four, Sheridan jumps, at the end of season three, he jumps to his death at Zahadum. He dies is captured by an alien called Lorien, and Lorien is going to bring him back to life. But in order to bring him back to life, what does he say to Sheridan? He says to him, you found something worth dying for, but what is worth living for? So it's this recurring theme that gets set up and paid off. Uh, so you can do all kinds of what, amazing payoffs. Yeah, what that allows you to do, because that, that, it's in other writing yeah. as well, allows you to have that theme with characters that are unrelated to yes. the the plot line that you actually need it for for, exactly. the, for the payoff. Yeah, you, you can set you can set up yeah, you can set up plot lines without any characters being in it. You can set up you can set up inciting incidents for mm. plot lines to come in season three. Yeah. Like you can set the, the your capacity to set up and pay things off is just so vast that the meaning and insight you can generate is incredible. And uh, and even more beautiful than that, you get to reward your audience in a way that says, if they keep watching this again and again and again, 
they'll be happy every time they watch it. Sure. Which is what's happened with Babylon 5. Like, I can rewatch it again and again, and while certain superficial elements become dated and certain episodes might falter and whatever, I, I just, when it's finished, I'm like, wow. Yeah. What a great five-year storyline. Like, it it needed five years to play out. That's why right. it's five years. Like, it, you couldn't t- tell this in a two-hour film and have it be anything close to the same. It has to be five years long. Okay, we've got trapdoors. We've got yeah. foreshadowing. Uh, retconning. Quick word on retconning. Don't do it. Don't do it. Thank you. <laughs> um, historical revelations. Yes. So, again, it's part of this foreshadowing thing. You can set up the future and pay off the past. Um, you you can but that that's about historical revelations. Yeah. are about so if you're plotting if you know five what, years, yeah, you know what's coming in year five. You know what's come what's going to be come in year one. But you also know the backstory before year one. That's the important and you know thing. the future stuff after year five. Yeah, and so you can set up things and pay things off that lie outside the five seasons you're showing. Yeah, that's, so it creates that's a fuller world. Sure. Yeah, it's great. So I mean, how how many years of history did he have? Uh, effectively a thousand he said he planned out so Babylon 5 is five seasons long right yeah. he said he planned out meticulously uh, 20 years either direction wow planned out quite a lot a thousand years in either direction and yeah. then had a very loose plotting for a million years in either direction and because the close of the show is way way in the future the, in the, the season 4 finale uh, takes place a million years in the future is that 4 or 5 season 4 has really? that's the rewrite one here ah. it takes place a million years in the future and earth gets destroyed because the sun goes nova and he points out in the episode that there's a little message thing and it goes like atypical solar emissions are reaching critical which suggests someone is actually attacking the earth <laughs> by blowing up its sun so and he says like yeah I know who's doing that really yeah yeah. and I believe it was the hand I think that's the name of the race that he gave, that that was mentioned in one of the spin-off series so like wow. he planned who was going to blow up the sun a million years ago bearing in mind that in season one one of the characters ascends into like a sort of psychic god type character and says I will see you all in a million years and in a million <laughs> years humans are basically non-corporeal entities made of light I am going to rewatch Babylon. You see what I mean? Like it's yeah. just like this is the thing you can do. Um, do uh, anything to add on um, on improvisation? Um, do the good kind, not the bad okay. kind. Improvisation is the the more you prepare, the better you can improvise. That's the irony of improvisation. Okay. Improvisation and preparation are two sides of the same coin. You get much further with both <laughs> than no crap. No, this is a quote from Babylon Five. I can use this quote. Okay, uh, he talks about faith and reason. I'm going to say improvisation and preparation are like the shoes on your feet. You can go much further with both than you can with just one. Okay, so <laughs> there you go. That's it. Brilliant. Babylon Five quote. Bam. <laughs> um, I know you want to hear. Stop on the mic now um, because okay. that's your mic drop moment. But don't because uh, <laughs> oh, man, just... this is a long one. Yeah, I know. It's I know, fine. But it's Babylon Five. It's, it should be. Um, it's just a, a couple of things I wanted to clear up. So in in terms of notes, we've got uh, in terms of notes, we've got trapdoor foreshadowing, uh, the yeah. retcon, historical revelation, and the improvisation. Yes. A quick note on the retconning, um, mm. which I forgot to mention earlier. Mm. Um, you mentioned Bashir yes. in DS9. Yes. And you were grinning the whole way through telling that story of the fact that, you know, yeah. some work and some don't. Yes. And I realised there's this kind of joy to that because, <laughs> I, I mean, DS9 gets away with it because DS9 never promises. You, um, sir, are absolutely right. 
And that's that's a bit of a light bulb moment. You're really? quite right. Yes, okay. I hadn't th- considered that, but you're absolutely right. Why doesn't it annoy me? It's because they never promised. And that, I think... We've mentioned it before. That's the mic drop moment. <laughs> We've mentioned the promise with the audience before. When you have the audience <laughs> asking that major dramatic question, you'd better answer it. I guess, although slow, behind the wheel, you do have a purpose. <laughs> Um, okay. No, you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought of that. You're absolutely right. DS9 never, at any point in the show, promises any sort of long-form payoff. Ever. Even when it starts doing them. Yeah. It never promises them. So it's totally fine that at some point Bashir turns out to be genetically engineered. You go, well, it works some cases and some not. It's like, yeah, because they didn't set it up. It's like, you know, it's like a thing they came up with in the probably the season break. Like, you're totally right. Because I've been saying this for ages. If you don't promise it, the audience won't get upset that you haven't done it. Right. And DS9 is perfect. It never promises long-form plotting. So, therefore, the fact that when it retcons and stuff like that, it's fine. Because, you know what? It never promised it was going to do this anyway. Whereas but, uh, Galactica promises this and cheats. And Babylon 5 promises this and pays off. So... Great. There you go. There's the trifecta. <laughs> Mic drop. That's probably uh, the best point to. Yes. Done. Okay. So remember, contact us on Twitter and. Yeah, Twitter at uh, at the Story Toolkit and uh, the website thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. We're also on iTunes mm. um, and uh, SoundCloud is under your name, yes. isn't it, Basimil Wakil? Some Baswakil, I think it is. Baswakil. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But yeah. But yeah, do get in touch. Give us shows you want us to talk about, yes. or writing techniques, or and, exactly. anything. Yeah, and so you know that's the end of it. Uh, I kind of want to end with a kosh, you know, and so it begins. But that's the end, so it doesn't really work. The truth points to itself. Mm. I don't know. Is there a good kosh quote? A good kosh quote. Yes. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs>